Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Wonderful. Uh, our reading this morning is from the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So it says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates in time, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has, taken, has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The season following Easter is, in the Christian calendar, considered to be Eastertide. Uh, a time for us to celebrate, reflect upon what does the resurrection actually do within us. If the season of Lent is one of reflection and repentance, it's, it's one of reflection and resurrection in, in the Eastertide. So often we can get caught up in our current moment, but these, these moments of gathering here on Sundays or in your community groups or the moments where we actually pause to think, are so vital to us actually living into who we are designed to be. The resurrection isn't just about Jesus finding new life. It's about humanity. It's about all people. It's about you and I experiencing that new life. But the concept of new life, I think, can be extremely vague at times. It can seem a little bit of a a high-minded idea rather than a tangible, practical experience that you and I might have. It might sound good, it might look good, but there's more to it than just that. I wonder, when you think of God, what comes to mind? Is it, is it the father running to the prodigal son? Is it God walking through Eden in the beginning? Is it Jesus being nailed to the cross? I think we learn through scripture that the person of the, the one God that eternally exists, exists in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if we're not careful, and I put myself in this category as well, if we're not careful, the Holy Spirit can easily be mentioned only in passing, and that's the farthest thing from what Jesus intended. In fact, from the standpoint of our experience, the Holy Spirit is actually first. It's with us. 
It's around us. It's within us. The Spirit is near to us. Near the end of Jesus' time on earth, he tells the disciples that he's sending someone better. The Holy Spirit. And it seems like a a very large statement to make. We've just spent significant time talking about all the amazing things that Jesus has said and done throughout his life. And now he's saying there is something better that I have for you. If Jesus is saying that, we should most definitely be paying attention. The Acts of the Apostles, the, the book of Acts that we'll be spending time in over the next couple months, outlines the founding of the church. It document, documents this, the spread of it, the challenges of it, the pressures that experience within society and its explosive growth. And we see incredible sacrifice throughout, but the central piece of the beginning of the work of the church out of the resurrection of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit is sparking this world-altering movement. It is the Holy Spirit at work. And this is the same Spirit that is at work in our lives today. That spark, that power to change, that change that is available to us. So we enter this series asking, God, would you, would you do within us What we see being done here in the book of Acts. Would you do in our community again and again what you have always done? Would you stir up this this life-giving power in a new way as we pray that simple prayer, come Holy Spirit. This is what we are spending our time in. Now, for some of you, you probably have a limited interaction with the idea of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like you had a rock hit your windshield and you didn't deal with it or pay attention to it because you just got so used to it. Uh, Maybe I'm just talking about my own windshield. But limited interaction, it just is there and you didn't think too much about it. Or perhaps you haven't had any experience with it at all. Faith is a new idea for you. So the Spirit seems more like a ghost that's related to Casper than one of the triune God. Or perhaps you've had a lot of experience with the Holy Spirit. And everything you've come across has actually been extremely dramatic or or extreme and perhaps even traumatic. I think we all come at it from different ways and places. And so wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, wherever you find yourself in your experience of the Holy Spirit, my hope is that you find it to be a safe place. Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, this is a space in which we hopefully can journey together. I want you to hear the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples first and foremost. He has given us a gift. Power is promised when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And that is for you and for me. In my own personal experience with the Holy Spirit, I had a very dramatic, I would say, uh, exposure to it. Some, Some in really good ways and some in ways that 
I didn't really find it to be helpful or meaningful. And it, and it probably pushed me away from the idea of really incorporating the Holy Spirit in my own spiritual formation or in my own practices. And, that, and I found that it was, it was limiting at times. The thing is, we are human beings with previous experiences informing our current realities. And that is just the reality of what it is to be human. And God is, is not negligent of that reality. However, there is a desire when the scripture talks about the spirit being at work and inviting us into something better is that, that, that God wants our lives to be more than it is. And there is a way to, go, to get to that place and there's things to wrestle through. But the spirit at work in the world is the gift that Jesus provides so that his followers can be more than they ever thought possible. Not by their own strength but by his. The spirit for me had to become more than a nice idea that is in the scriptures that I believe it had to be something functionally taking place in my life. I've heard the, the phrase that sometimes in the church we can be theologically charismatic and functionally cessationist, meaning we can believe in the Spirit, but we're not acting in the Spirit. We can believe that the Holy Spirit is a real thing, but we don't treat it like that. That there, We don't even consider it in the way that we live our lives, and that's just not what Jesus intended for us. We want the good things that Jesus has and we're not using the gift that he's given. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to make us into spiritual superheroes. So often we are guilty of looking at the way in which the Spirit exists in the world and we think to ourselves, we are the heroes of our story. That is not the reality. We are invited to live into the kingdom invitation that has been set before us as Jesus is speaking. You notice in the text that when Jesus comes back and he spends time with his disciples, what does he talk to them about? He talks to them about the kingdom of God. He continues that narrative of what does it look like for the world to be different. In some ways, it feels like following the way of Jesus is actually the most difficult way to go. It seems to go in direct opposition with anything and everything that is around us and within us. And we're, we're kind of designed in our culture and our society to live a certain way. But the way of Jesus flies in the face of that. And, and to do so... With the frequency, with the intention, with the motivation, and with the focus that Jesus invites us into, I wholeheartedly believe we need the power of the Spirit just to do that. This is, this is my heart. We, we want to be a community that grounds itself in the scriptural vision of who the Spirit is. And we want to live into that. What is the first thing that should come into our minds when we think of God's Spirit? This is the question we're going to explore today. I, I think this is what the text actually gives us an idea of. In the New Testament alone, there are 300 references to the Holy Spirit. And despite this, 
the Holy Spirit can remain elusive, but not evasive. Uh, metaphors are used to help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. Wind, water, oil, fire, a dove. And though they might articulate our experience, they're all kinetic in nature. And they point to this dynamic divinity that exists that's not contained or constrained. And this, this can make comprehension of it extremely difficult. Alasdair Heron, he calls the Holy Spirit the most elusive and difficult of all themes in Christian, Christian theology. It's an illusory term in our language. And when Christians come to talk about God's Spirit in the Bible, it's sometimes called four different things. The Spirit, God's Spirit, the, the Spirit of Jesus, and most often it's called in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit. We, we could do a lot of word associations, I think, of what comes to your mind first when you think about the Spirit of God. And I think it would be really interesting, maybe it's something you can do in your community groups this week, to hear what comes to you for the forefront of your mind. Because, like I said, depending on your background and your story and your experience, it can look really difficult. Simon Ponsby, he's a vicar of theology at St. Aldate's Chapel in Oxford. He says this, he says, Our frustration in articulation has been a general feature of every period of the church. The best the 4th century councils of Nicaea could come up with in their formularies was, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And they later expanded it to the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophet. Not bad, but not enough. The third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, is the third article in the creeds, and it's often third in our relationship with God. But like I said, often our Reality is our experience has it first. So, with all that said, let's begin looking at our scripture in Acts together. Because this is the beginnings of the church. Things I would love for you to know about Acts as we dive into it. Uh, there's always questions that people have about authorship and uh, who they believe actually put pen to paper when it comes to books of the Bible. When we look at the Gospel of Luke and we look at the book of Acts, there's a lot that would tell us that the, the authors are the same. Uh, the author being Luke himself, and there's more that we could talk about Luke, but I just want you to understand that it's treated very much as part two by the author himself. That the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, leads us into the book of Acts, where he's continuing the story, the story of Jesus into the story of the church. The, the prologue of the passage is really intentionally laid out. It provides to us that the Spirit of God will not only be responsible for the instruction of the apostles and the other disciples, but it will play a role in developing the narrative about the spread of the Word of God from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. There are only a few chapters in the book of Acts where the role of the Spirit is not evident in some way. It appears in verse 2 of chapter 1 and then it appears 56 other times thereafter. Luke very specifically emphasizes the activity of the Spirit right from the very beginning of the driving force that launches the church. 
the Spirit of God becomes the dynamo of the narrative that was about to unfold. Acts is the sequel to the Jesus story in the Gospels, but the element that was bringing life through the ministry of Jesus was the Spirit in the Gospel of Luke, and it became the same element in the book of Acts. This is what's taking place. All this to say, I want us to to grab onto this simple idea. That the same power that's at work in the life of Jesus that is in the book of Luke is the same power that is in the early church that is the same power available to us, the church today. His people, followers of Christ, the Spirit of God is available and wants to work in and through our lives. Luke begins his narrative with an account of the appearances of the risen Christ to his followers and of the instructions that he gave to them. And the narrative that we see at the beginning, it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of both the ascension, what, the epiphany, and the commissioning of the disciples. Christ's instructions are in effect, what he does in this last moment, it's in effect his last will and testament. It's his last will and testament to his chosen followers. And there's four pieces within it. The first being the kingdom of God. All these instructions are given by Jesus after he suffered. Luke is quick to remind his readers of the death of Jesus. And he doesn't neglect the cross. We don't forget that. But we begin to live into the spirit. And there's a number of moments. Luke is, is thought to be a doctor, so he very specifically wants to provide evidence to the resurrection. He wants to point to the ways in which they actually experience relationship in proximity, not just an idea, so that it would validate and verify the idea of the risen Savior and then the launching of the church moving forward. And then he goes into the idea of the kingdom of God. And, and I, I've heard this from individuals, and I know I've experienced this myself, that the, the language of the kingdom of God can be extremely uh, vague. We don't, we don't live in a world where kingdoms really exist. But that was a time and place where the, the psyche of the people would have been very much based around kingdom to kingdom to kingdom and kings and those in authority. And even within the, the oppression that they experienced as, as the people of Israel, they understood that there was a king that was above them. So this is the language that was being used, the kingdom of God. And it was a way of formulating what was meant in the Old Testament when Yahweh was spoken of as king. It, it expressed God's spiritual dominion over the minds and lives of his people and of human beings in general. And in time, it, it began to formulate even this hope for the future when God's salvation of them would be fully realized. Then the New Testament, it leads us to the place that the kingdom of God, it expresses the new way that God has entered into human experience through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is what Jesus leads off with in the passage. That the kingdom of God is what he's teaching to his disciples. And then he follows this up with this very simple command. And that was the command to not depart from Jerusalem. He gives practical teaching into a practical next step. I think that the disciples very much like you and I, they've been around Jesus. They've seen incredible things happen. And they're kind of like, new life, cool, what's next? 
Where do I go? What do I do? How do I do it? And Jesus gives them a clear answer of just very simply, the command is do not depart from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is emphasized in verse 8 for us because it becomes a focal point for, for the way that the gospel would fly out into the region and beyond. The city from which the testimony must be carried by witnesses and from which the word must go forth. In Luke 24 verse 27, Jesus made it known that testimony to him must begin from Jerusalem and the apostles were told to remain here in the city until they are invested with power on high. He was already talking about the Holy Spirit. So he leads with the idea of the kingdom of God. He gives them a command. And then we get to the, the core of this opening prologue. We get to the explanation of the promise of the Father. It's almost like this idea of what makes life go. What makes the resurrection happen? What, what produces this new life? You can imagine that the disciples are asking these questions. And then they're in proximity with Jesus. And he says, I've, I've got a promise. that I've got this gift for you that will really make it happen. In Jesus' time, those who would have been growing up in the Hebrew culture would have been immersed in the scriptures. And they would have had a scriptural worldview to answer that question. What makes life go? And it would have been the idea of spirit. When we look at Genesis chapter 1 and we see the creation narrative taking place and it's speaking of who God is, it says that the spirit of God was there over the waters and it was hovering. The spirit of God was over the waters and it was hovering and God said let there be light and there was light. And we'll talk more about Genesis and the, the narrative around it in June. But I want you to note that Genesis 1, it doesn't begin with nothing. It begins with chaos. There's chaos in the very beginning. And the Spirit hovers over the chaos, the dark, chaotic waters, the wasteland. And the Spirit of God is there to bring order. It's there to bring beauty. And it's there to bring life. So the understanding of what the Spirit is has to begin from that place. The Spirit is there from the beginning and the function of the Spirit is to take that which is chaotic and broken and to bring into order and into newness. This was the function of the Spirit and therefore that was the manner in which the Spirit was going to be with His people. In Hebrew, the idea of spirit, the word spirit is this word rucha. There's a K in there, so you got to say it with a little bit of oomph to it. And here's what's interesting. Ruha is translated as spirit, but what does, what does it mean? I want you to do an exercise with me. I, I saw uh, an, another individual do this, and I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I want you to take your hand, and hopefully you brush your teeth this morning. If not, it's your own breath. Uh, I want you to just cup your mouth real carefully, and I just want you to breathe. And what do we feel? We feel hot air. Maybe it smells a little bad, but that's on you. This is, this is what ruha means. It means breath. God's spirit is God's breath. 
God's life. If you find someone, if you were to go into a, a park and you were to see someone lying on the ground and you were wondering, are they okay? What's going on? What are maybe the first couple of things you do? You might go over and you check their pulse. And then you might go over and you might try to like feel like, are they breathing? You check for their chest. Is their chest moving up and down? Maybe you put your hand above their mouth and you're checking, is there, is there air coming out of it? Their breath, is it there? In, in other words, ruha is, is, is breath. It's life. And if you have breath and if you have air, you have life. Therefore, God's spirit is breath and it's air and it's life. This is what the word is meant to lead us towards. It is mysterious and it's invisible, but the number one indicator of God's spirit being in a place, within a person, at work in a moment, is life and vitality. When we ask the question, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the Spirit, and we're looking at the Word itself, and we're looking at what Jesus is doing in His life with the Spirit working within Him, it is life. It is bringing life. Mia is 10 months old. And I'll always remember the first moment where she entered the world. She entered it with a bang. Like most babies, there wasn't a, a quiet like, hello, I'm glad to be here. It was a, a, a scream. It was a deep gulp of air. It was life coming in as air entered into those lungs and air left those lungs in those big sounds of Anger. <laughs> Why'd you take me out of my mom's womb? It was air and life and all of it happening in that moment. For, for two seconds, perhaps she, she looked lifeless until the air came within her and burst out of her in sound and coughing and screaming. Ruha. And so it's a common conception of this idea of birth, of new birth, and divine breath. When new life comes, divine breath being breathed in is what is taking place. So what is God's ruha? What is God's spirit? It is his inner life taking residence within us. There's a connection between God's ruha and God's word all working together to bring order and beauty out of the chaos. Two errors that we are often prone to make when it comes to the Spirit is that the Spirit is either granted personality but, not divin but denied divinity or it's been granted divinity but denied personality. When it comes to the first idea, the Spirit has been granted personality but denied divinity. It's regarding the Spirit as a less than divine agent, a created being, perhaps maybe supreme over other created beings, but subordinate to God and matching the beat of his, marching to the beat of his superiors. And then the second error that we can make is we can regard 
the Spirit as God in a human-focused action, as like this energy emitted but not a distinct person of God. This is what we know. Uh, Murray Harris says this. He says, without embarrassment, Paul has conjoined the Lord Jesus Christ with the Spirit of God in benediction. Parity of status is implied, for it would be blasphemous for a Jew to place alongside God any other name in blessing. This is what it is. A gift has been given, and it's been given to the people. And it's not just this idea of an energy being brought in, but it's God himself. It is the breath of God. It is the spirit of God being given to his people. Because this is the only way in which new life comes to take place. If we think about what has just taken place in the lives of the disciples throughout history, but in this moment in particular, Jesus has just died and he's risen again and he's, he's carrying this new life within him and he's, he's inviting his disciples to follow him and they're saying, your way looks like a really hard way. We've seen where, what your way leads us to. But we believe in you and we want to follow it. And Jesus doesn't leave them empty-handed, but he gives them this gift of himself. He gives them the gift of the power of the Spirit to work within them as part of their witness to the world. It is a gift that is given. He invests his power within them. And what do we think of as an investment? Something that we believe is worthwhile in its value. Part of what we need to start to believe in ourselves is in order for us to actually receive the gift that has been given, do you believe that God actually looks at you with someone who is worthy of value? I feel like sometimes our hesitation to receiving the gift of the Spirit is we immediately write ourselves off as people who are undeserving of anything of the sort. The promise of the Father is explained as a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the baptism they're to receive will not be water as John the Baptist administered, but the one that was announced. The Spirit will be given as a power to the disciples. The Spirit then becomes the dynamo of the story in Acts. The Spirit is the gift behind all that they witness in what they do or any situation that they're in. Baptism of the Spirit will be the power by which Jesus' followers will live their new lives and bear witness to the risen Lord. And then we get to the fourth part of it, and this one's for us. And it's the commission of the apostles as witnesses. We're going to read verse 6 and 7 again. It says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is not trying to be vague. He isn't meaning to pull attention away from the question. But he's simply answering to the followers around him this that you are to always proclaim the word about him and bear witness to him until he comes. But what does it mean to bear witness? 
when you think of God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, what is the first thing that comes to our minds? I want us to have this central idea as a community as we enter into these next eight weeks together. We need to have a shared starting point. The first thing is that it is God's life. It is new life. It is the Spirit of God being God's breath of new life within us. And then we are then sharing in his power and in his inner life. And it is out of his hovering in the midst of creation that we see life and existence and sustenance come about in this powerful way. The spirit of God is about life in the Bible. The spirit of God is God's personal presence bringing life into the world. The mission of God's spirit is to provide his life-giving love and power to his creation. And the purpose of God's spirit is to overcome death with life. I find it so challenging every Easter. I think what Anthony said, we can all fall into. Then on the other side of it, Easter has happened and now we continue on with our journey. But the invitation of Easter is to be resurrection people. And to be resurrection people is to live into the hope of the resurrection. But I can't live into the hope of the resurrection if I don't find hope in the resurrection. If I lose the sense of newness and new life in my own story, if all I can sense is death and darkness around me, hope for the new life, hope as a resurrection people seems extremely ambiguous and far off. Therefore, the spirit does not even seem like a something to even consider in my story. But we are called to be resurrection people. Because to be a witness, I think, has been construed in so many ways. We think of it as a guy in a street corner. We think of someone with a megaphone. We think about it in just the words that we say. And yes, words matter. But the actions, the lives that we live are the true witnesses of the people of God. That the invitation to the kingdom of God, you notice, wasn't to go and say all the good things. It was to be the kingdom people. It was to be those people that represent him in every space, in every scenario, at all times. And he knows that's hard. So he's given us the power of new life through the spirit of God to do exactly that. If you have felt tired and weary and heavy burdened by trying to do the right thing at the right time in the most difficult of places, the encouragement this morning is that there is a power and there is a spirit and there is a life, there is a breath that is given to you to be the sustenance and the strength you need to operate fully in that capacity. This is not about doing something dramatic or beyond our comprehension. This is, this is living into what it is that Jesus has been saying all along, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And I want you to do it fully with everything that you have. And what does the kingdom of God truly do? It brings life. It breaks into the darkness of our world and brings life, not by our strength, but by the strength of the one who comes and dwells within us. It is the breath of God breathing life into a dark and destructive world. 
There is nothing that is beyond the repair of the breath of God. And when we try to live as resurrection people by the strength of our own breath, by the strength of our own life, that is when we find ourselves falling short. Maybe the invitation, maybe the the most critical point for you this morning was the second one, to stay in Jerusalem. For some of you, you are trying to run so hard to do the right thing and to get to the right place, but you're moving from the wrong source. You need to stay in the presence of God to get the breath of God within you. So that becomes the strength from which you begin to operate. That you need to experience new life before you try and bring new life. That you're praying for that, that family member, or you're praying for that coworker, and you're saying, I want them to experience something good in their life for once. I want to see them actually turn the corner and maybe know Jesus. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, receive the gift that I have for you first. Experience that new life that I have for you first and experience what that does in your life, through your life, to touch their life. This is the power of witness. Witness is the life of God infused within ours. And when it truly is, we look, act, and talk differently because we can't help it. It's different than our own thoughts and imagination. We capture something new. If you were to highlight every time that the Spirit is mentioned within the story of of Luke and even within Acts, when we look at it with the biblical narrative, Genesis 1 and 2, God's Spirit exists, and what does it do? It brings life. Luke 1 The Spirit of God comes upon Mary, and what does it do? It brings life. Luke 3, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and begins his ministry, brings life. Then in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit is the gift empowering the followers of Christ, brings new life. The Spirit has a track record, the Spirit has a purpose, and the Spirit wants to bring new life into our stories. I'm inviting us to replace our experiences of what the Spirit might be with a biblical vision that starts with the simple idea that the Spirit brings life. Because as we learn to live into the Spirit and to operate within the gifts of the Spirit, all things should produce what? Life. That's why we're not the superheroes. We're not, we're not trying to do it. It's by his power and his strength. Worship team, you can join me at the front. Jesus gives them this command and then he ascends to heaven. And I love that the, the, the two angels that we assume in the story, they say to the witnesses of Jesus' ascension, where are you looking? There's work to be done. There's a command that's being given. Get to Jerusalem. Be in that upper room. And when the spirit hits, let's go. Be the witnesses that I've called you to be.
For some of you this morning, I wonder if the idea of new life feels far off. You can only think about it from the perspective of maybe a little step. And the little step this morning begins with placing our trust in Jesus. That he invites us. He says, place your trust in me. I want to have a relationship with you. And in this relationship, let me show you what life can really look like. And then for us as the church, as his followers, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want more in my faith. I want more in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It starts with actually living into that new life. It means that we're starting to actually move into this space where the Holy Spirit is not a nice idea, but functionally working and living within our lives. There's more for you than you've currently experienced. There's more for me than I currently experience because the spirit is beyond our comprehension and our imagination and new life is something we all need. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come before you this morning and we're so grateful that we are given the gift of the Spirit of God, of Holy Spirit, you coming within our lives, taking that which feels broken and dead and breathing new life into it. Maybe there's dreams that feel crushed and all hope seem to go with it. Breathe new life. Maybe there's a, a, a sense, of, sense of loss that can't be shaken and, and faith seems to be crumbling and it feels dead, in fact. Breathe new life. Maybe relationships feel past the point of no return. Breathe new life. And as we, your people, those who declare your name, those who make that decision to follow you, start down this path of discovering what the Spirit really is within our lives. May we always see the new life and be a people who bring life through our actions and our words, through our witness. And may our witness point people to you. May our witness declare the kingdom of God is at hand and it is life and life abundantly that it rejects the darkness and despair of our world and offers a new way a better way a true way pray for our community in these days to come that spirit of God you would do what I could not what we could not you enter into our lives and that we would have soft hearts to begin to listen to begin to listen to that still small voice that invites us into relationship that invites us into power that invites us into newness of life give us ears to hear and eyes to see the way that the you, Spirit, are working in the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.